sales are, are literally three to five X a normal vending machine. So those locations I was telling you about doing 1100 bucks a month at an apartment complex with a vending machine, they would easily do over three grand a month once we fine tune the product. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. When I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation, and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies, and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have Mr. Passive on. See, I didn't even know. Maybe I, that's what I was like. I'm, I'm kind of jealous, actually, a little bit that he's got that handle and that name, Mr. Passive. But Mike Hoffman, we jumped on. We talked about Vendingpreneur, you know, his program, his vending machine, you know, uh, path, how he's really unlocked this. And, and what is incredibly fascinating is how you can actually make more money off a vending machine than some of these rentals and cash flow today off of a single family house with so much lower risk. We didn't get into some of the nitty gritty details, but we got into some of the important things to how do you 3X or even 5X your revenues off of a concept of a micro market. So this may be new to you, is at least new to me as I dove into his content. So I am incredibly excited for you to hear about Mike Hoffman, Mr. Passive's vendingpreneur journey and how you can truly unlock that for yourself as well, especially here on the Passive Wealth Principles. Let's dive right in. Hey, Mike, I am excited to have you on the Passive Wealth Podcast, the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast, just because of the way I discovered you. So a lot of the people on my show, I've known them for years or seen some of their tips and tricks and other things like that up, you know, close and in person. But you are someone I've recently discovered, and it was actually because my son is wanting to get in the vending machine business, and you gave like some solid gold nuggets, like we were going to absolutely go down the wrong path. Like we were absolutely like exactly one of the things that you talked about was like most people buy a vending machine and say it's in my garage. And you ask or you ask about the location. They're like, oh, I just bought the machine. And I was like, that's exactly what we were going to do. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is he's he's already been down the path. I'm so excited to, to uh, jump into your story. So we'll get to the vending machines. We'll get to some of those passive income you know, strategies. I'd love to. Um, for my own sake, hear a little bit more of your own backstory because I have just the, the glimpse of Mr. Passive, the vending machine guy. So if, take a few minutes, go through and let uh, do an introduction on yourself, you know, from birth until today uh, in like about, you know, a few minutes uh, to tell us, you know, kind of who you are and where you're at. Yeah. No, thanks, Jake. Excited to be here and big fan of your podcast. Uh, you know, just hearing your son's story, there's no easier way to... Uh, teach supply and demand than with a vending machine with kids. So, um, but yeah, that's super exciting. I think uh, from my side, with regards to the story, you know, I grew up a uh, small town of 800 people in Southwest Iowa. Uh, my dad was a, a, vet, a veterinarian, classic entrepreneurial, you know, had to kind of go create that business to provide for our family and my mom being a school teacher. And, and when you talk about, um, uh, time for money. I kind of just seen how hard they work to provide for us and, and always being uh, on, so to speak, was a huge eye opener for me. Um, and I got into uh, human performance and strength conditioning 
in collegiate athletics. And I had this second aha moment when I was a young coach of like, why am I working 60 hours a week to make uh, as much as one of my cash flowing rentals? So that's where I kind of doubled down on this whole uh, income streams, leveraging compounding momentum to ultimately not have to work uh, nine to five. That's just reliant on um, time for money. That's awesome. So, uh, are you still in Iowa? I'm in Oregon now. Okay. Yeah. And what were your first kind of investment, uh, yeah. vehicles that you used? Or you yeah. Did? So I got, you know, into the whole like investing thing back when I was making $1,200 a month as a college strength coach. And I really wanted to find a way to get into the you know, the cash flowing rental scene at the time I was in St. Louis, which is a prime cash flowing market, obviously. So it was a classic, you know, $70,000 house that we'd rent out for 900 buck type return. So being a young pup that I was, you know, I was just going off the 1% rule and um, parlayed that home into a, a short term rental a few years after that, and then just kind of uh, doubled down and let the portfolio continue to, to grow itself. Oh, that's awesome. I, I wish I wish I would have started so much earlier. Uh, you know, I was in the army and uh, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. And so I was like, aha, this is what I want to do. But I, I had this still limited and scarcity mindset. Um, I didn't know how to get there. And so that took me many, many years until uh, I actually got into actually investing into anything. I, you know, I worked a day job and worked uh, a few different things, but so that first property mm -hmm. or the first investment, how'd you get there? What kind of led you to that? And talk us through your, that initial investment, um, that you made. Yeah. So, uh, kind of what led me there was this whole aha moment of, of working 12 hours a day in collegiate athletics and literally making pennies on the dollar to bring home 1200 bucks a month. And so, um, what I realized when I was in that kind of phase was like, hey, I got to make some money in other ways or let my money kind of do work for me. So that's when uh, this $70,000 house in St. Louis, I think I had like 25 k in my emergency fund. I, at the time, I put 15% down on 70 grand. So we're looking at, you know, 10 to 12 k um, And then that just kind of it cash flowed. I used a cost study to um, take that deduction and put it towards the second one and just kind of started to build the portfolio from there. And at the time, I think it was 2011. So, um, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, and it's been kind of fun to see it uh, compound. Yeah, that's... Um... You know, uh, one of those magic things about compounding as far as both the cash flow, but also I'm I'm assuming you've got some appreciation off of that because historically Iowa and Missouri and, you know, a lot of these other markets had nothing mm -hmm. for appreciation. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's taken off all, all at once. Yeah. So that first rental, I've actually sold it already. So I sold it three years ago. Um and I think I sold it for like 130 or 140. So it almost uh, doubled in value. Um, it was cash flowing the whole time. And then I just used that to get a, a vacation rental out in the mountains in Oregon where we like to visit. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, it kind of ran itself there for a while. And then we just took advantage of that appreciation and got a little lucky with the market and the rates and kind of uh, beating things to, to where the rates are now, I guess. Yeah, rates are not <laughs> friendly right now. <laughs> I was like, man, it was like, yeah, I was just like going through, and it's it's kind of murderous out there if you're, uh, you know, not playing with cash. It's crazy, Jake, and that's you know not to dive right into it, but that's what got me into vending. I was trying to find other income streams without needing twenty to twenty five percent down on a an investment property just because the margins now with rates are, are very 
uh, hard to make sense. So um, that's what led me into vending actually right before COVID. And I was just doing the numbers on our October portfolio of, of investment properties, vending machines and micro markets or Bitcoin mining. And like vending has been the most consistent revenue stream. I mean, it's like what Warren Buffett always said. His first, he got into vending when he was 19 and he regrets getting out of it in college just because he was trying to do a get rich quick flip, which he did make a good return, but it's nothing what it could be now. So, um, you know, it's just such a lucrative uh, area because of the minimal capital needed to get started. Well, I'd love to hear more about that. So let's let's go ahead and dive into that. You know, that's how I know you as Mr. <laughs> Passive, the vending preneur, you know, kind of um, programs and courses and everything like that. So um, tell tell me about your first deal. How did you get into vending machine business? Yeah, so I, I had my eyes on it because I did a lot of consulting with the military and, and had a lot of layovers going to DC from Oregon and airports. And there's no better place to just see random vending machines in micro markets than an airport. So I had my eye on it a little bit. Um, but ironically, my wife uh, coaches in collegiate athletics, and I, I called uh, an apartment complex that a lot of her athletes lived in. And we were genuinely interested in the nutrition options at this apartment. So I just called them and I was like, hey, do you guys have vending machines like protein shakes, cliff bars, all the kind of nutritional things you want a D1 athlete to, to have? And they were like, no, we don't have anything. Would you be interested in providing it for us? And Jake, I didn't even know where to find a vending machine at the time. I just Dr. Google figured it out. Um, and now it's completely... Uh, you know, from a revenue standpoint, completely um, taken over my uh, my former W-2 that was in software sales from Palo Alto. So it just kind of shows you, you know, cash flow, consistency, and then just parlaying it. And I know you have a lot of investors on the call, but these vending routes and these leads have such a asset value to them that you know, if one or two years down the road and your son's like, yeah, dad, I'm no longer in, interested in vending. You sell that location or that route, just like a real estate property. And you're looking at a massive multiple. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I you know, was, I've been looking, consuming some of your content recently and there was a story about, or you had posted something about somebody that had, you know, joined your program got a location, uh, a micro market, and I'm sure we'll dive into that and in micro markets in a little bit, but then he took a job and he was maybe moving locations or mm -hmm. couldn't do that. And then he sold it, you know, after a couple months of even just setting it up. So he sold it to somebody else. I don't know if it was another person in the program or, but then made a pretty decent amount of cash, you know, uh, infusion off of just landing this one location. So tell me what that means. Like, yeah. You know, what does that mean about selling a route and, you know, what you say massive multiples, like let's break that down. A little yeah. Bit. So you look at, uh, look, we can use an example of a, a manufacturing plant. I just signed up with a micro market. And so you think of like cash flowing assets. So this place, this manufacturing plant here in Oregon, um, they have acres and acres of pumpkins. They have over 500 migrant workers, another 200 contractors, uh, just with the 500 full-time employees with the micro market, we've calculated that that market's going to do $40 an employee a month. So we're looking at uh, 40 times 500 minimum. We're looking at $20,000 a month in, in revenue, not profits. Profits are typically um, 50 to 60% of that. Um, but that 20 grand a month you can sell your routes for one to two X the yearly revenue. So if I'm doing 20,000 bucks a month with this micro market, that's 240 K. I can sell that for a one and a half to three X multiple, um, just that lead and the contract I have with that manufacturing plant. So I can go on biz buy sell, put that micro market lead contract up for sale. And I could probably get, 400k minimum for just because of the cash flow that's coming in every month at, at 20 grand a pop. Wow, that's uh, those are real numbers. Yeah. 
I mean, and as far as like that's you know, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm assuming that um, five hundred employee, twenty thousand dollar a month is not the norm. Um, as far as you know, maybe that is for the micro market. So like the, somebody starting out. You know, what does an actual vending machine make? Because, you know, uh, I think my experience is, is similar to yours. I, I started seeing these more diverse, you know, vending machines pop up in airports and then they have their fancier. And now they have LED screens. And it was like, wow, those look pretty impressive. But like when I was a kid growing up, it was like, you know, beat up, put coins in there. And, you know, if that thing made more than a, uh, 20 or 50 bucks in a given month, I'd be shocked, you know? So like, what does a basic vending machine and what do you consider that versus, and then we can dive into afterwards the micro markets, but specifically around individual vending machines that are normal. Yeah. So a lot of like the beginners in our community that are just starting out and we get an apartment complex or a a small business with 50 to a hundred employees or a little bit more than that. uh, My number one recommendation is a combo machine. And what that is, is it's a vending machine that has half snacks, half drinks. And the reason I like a combo machine is because you can get started with investment in one machine instead of a drinks machine and a snacks machine where now you've bought two machines and you don't even know if it's a good location. So all of my combo machines will do around 1100 to $1,200 a month. And that's like consistent, no matter what we do to try to mimic the prices or mimic the products in the machine. It's very standard of like, hey, our average transaction value is X. Here's what we sell. Like, you know, you can only charge so much, so much for a 12 ounce can of Diet Coke. Um, but with that 11 to 1200 bucks a month, I mean, that right there, you're profiting 600 bucks and that's more than some of my rentals, even whether it's short-term or long-term. And it's just like consistent, consistent, consistent. The cool thing is as you start to parlay these locations, I just posted an ad on Craigslist for operator gig. And I was like, I don't care if you want to stock in the morning cause you're an early riser or if you're in a stock in the evening because you're a night owl, it needs to be done once a week at 20 bucks an hour. It takes, for all of my machines, it takes about a half hour machine to stock. Let's say another 20 minutes of drive time. You're looking at one hour, 20 bucks a week per location. And it just starts parlaying. Now I'm up to 14 machines. I just told you about the manufacturing plant with the micro market that's going to um, do more than all of those combined. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such simple cash flow. And then you talk about your kids. Like everyone in my community is either trying to get these machines to pay for daycare, to pay for their college fund for their kids, or just to teach their kids simple supply and demand. And like I'm, I have students in the community now where they'll each student or each machine they'll give to a kid. And now the kid has say in what products go into it. And they're literally competing against each other on what products and pricing. And it's like a real world economy class. Yeah. I, I mean, hundred percent. I, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, what, what, what attracted, so my son is eight, he'll actually be nine here relatively soon. Um, you know, he started with, lemonade store, oh, awesome. you know, he started going yeah. outside, you know, he'd go outside and which was interesting because, uh, I've written about this in my blog a few times. Like he was out there, uh, with, with my you know second son and they had just their like little, you know, cart that, you know, had lemonade and actually they like replaced it and put it up there. And then he came in and they're like, oh, I need to get some more lemonade. And I was like, Oh, how, how's it going out there? You know, how's the sales? And he's like, oh, I think we got about, you know, like a, maybe $80. Oh and gosh. I was just like, $80. I was like, oh, obviously he's, you know, an inaccurate, you know, in his, his math. Um, and so then he, he filled up a little bit more and he's like, oh, I think I'm kind of getting close to a hundred dollars. And I was just like, so I walk out there and I look at it and sure enough, he has like a hundred bucks in cash. And I was like, what is going on here? Oh. Like, what are you doing? And, uh, and he's charging $4 for a cup of lemonade. And I was like, 
all right, inflation. You know, I didn't give him any like guidance of like what to charge or how to do it or anything like that. He took lemons from our backyard and uh, made lemonade and he's selling them. And so he's got these red solo cups that he's pouring things for four bucks. Well, what I found out is he's not giving change. <laughs> um, he's like, so people stop by, see a kid on the lemonade yeah. stand and they're like, Oh, Hey, can I get one? And he's like, yep, there you go. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> um, and he's just like, and they're like, wait. Uh, and, he, and so he's like not giving them change. And so then they're like, I guess I'll take four of the Like, I, I don't, I don't want five, you know, cups of, you know, lemonade. And so he's like, oh, it's just a tip. And so each one of them, he quickly was doing that. And that's how he was getting up. My wife was mortified. She's like, that's it. All the neighbors are going to hate us. Our I was like, if an eight-year-old or, you know, this is a couple years ago, seven-year-old or six-year-old, whatever time he was, is, is bilking you out of, you know, 12 bucks, like, you know, I don't know. And he's too afraid to say, but we told him afterwards, he actually has to give people change. You have to actually do that. And so that scaled up. And so it just, it put that nugget into his head of understanding those, you know, just selling. Stuff. Yeah. He's evolved. He's done it multiple times. He's now saved up hundreds of dollars. He's done it. Uh, his school is an acting Academy as uh, they do a business fair. Wow. And so this was like, it took it to the next level. It was a business fair. So then he had to break down like all of his cost yeah. of goods on a spreadsheet. Like how much is, you know, how much is a lemon? How much is sugar? How much is, you know, water? How much is a, a you know, a juicer, a mixer? And so he had to go through like all this whole exercise. And so he's learned that it's pretty good. Works during the summer. He had then evolved into curb painting. So wow. he saw a YouTube video. And so he gets stencils and he goes around and knocks door to door and paints, you know, the, the numbers on the curb makes 25 bucks for each one he does and sells those. And so it's like, people are like, yeah, all right. I don't have, you know, you can quickly tell if they have one or not, not interested, move along next one, next one. And so like, as he's been doing this, what he found was both of those require a lot of his time mm -hmm. commitment you know, he has to, you know, buy these things, he, you know, he plays soccer, he plays other sports. And then that's kind of what led to this like vending machine was like, oh, this would be great to have something that's making money that I can come back to every once in a while. And so <coughs> that's been his, his kind of seed of, of investing. So I told him save up a thousand dollars and then, you know, we'll help you get a machine and do kind of those next steps. That's when I discovered, and I'm gonna, this is going to lead to my question, was and what we started about was we were planning to go buy a machine on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or one of those places. And we've looked at a few different ads. And then we saw what you said was that people often do make mistakes when they go out and buy those those first machines. So I'd love you to kind of walk me in, maybe give it that advice for that first time vending or my son or something like that is okay, they got the bug, they want to do it, they've seen some of those things. What are some of the mistakes that you see early vendingpreneurs go do, um, especially given that, that same kind of scenario that I'm walking you towards? Yeah, so that's probably the, the, the main mistake. Is, well, there's a couple, but that's very common. You know, People will be like, hey, I got this vending machine in my garage. And literally the first question I ask is like, oh, tell me about where it's going. What's the lead? How much... How many people live there? How many employees work there? Like, I just want to know about where you're putting this thing. And they haven't even thought that far yet. And so that machine's already in your garage. It's depreciating. It's not making you any money. It'd be like him making a month's worth of lemonade, and he doesn't even know if there's a neighborhood that'll that'll buy it. So that's why I love the, the, the his approach with the, the curb painting, because it's like once they say they need – curb painting it's like okay dad we need to go get some paint you know like that's kind of the approach i had where i was like yeah we can solve this issue for you the, that apartment i told you about earlier and then i was like pardon my language but i gotta go figure out a freaking where to get and nowadays jake there's so many vending machines i can't even keep up we have a weekly vending preneur call and we have guest speakers cold brew the micro market companies I mean, now there's like 3D cameras that will uh, monitor theft and stuff. Like there's ice cream machines. There's probably lemonade machines. Like 
in the airport at SFO, there's literally a, a latte vending machine right there on, uh, I think it's Terminal D. And it's just like, you know, the number one cost for businesses is payroll. And this completely removes that. So whether you like it or not, you might as well um, kind of work in your favor to, to separate time as money. Yeah, that's um, I've seen that one in San Francisco. Uh, we were actually cutting back, you know, coming back from a trip, and so he stood there, and we he made me re record a video <laughs> yeah. of it and other things like that. It's yeah, a robot, robot arm, arm. just goes out there and makes a cup of coffee and does it and moves it, and so you press on the little LED screen and and uh, you know click the buttons and it fills up. So. Um, yeah, that is amazing. And, and obviously that makes so much sense to me. Like once, once you said it, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. How do you know what to put in a machine if you don't know about the location? And so the same thing that you're talking about investing is uh, so many people that have come to me about, you know, buying their first rental property mm -hmm. or their first investment. And actually also what you just said too, was like 600 bucks profit, you know, 500, 600 bucks. I've had several rental properties that that was not the cash flow yeah. off of them. And there was a whole lot of, of a myriad of things that I had to get through, uh, muck through to get to that cash flow. I was, you know, playing maybe appreciation like you and your initial kind of properties, but it was like, that's not bad. And it's a more about securing a location. So talk to me about that location. How do you go about finding locations? What are the things that you're doing that's allowed you to scale? And then what are some of the things that you're helping some of your, your students in your course and your program? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two ways we look at locations. We look at them as businesses with enough employees or, um, any type of living situation with enough, either, uh, tenants or residents or like a hotel with enough guests. So, that's kind of how we look at it. We typically like to see 100 plus, if we're talking apartments, 100 plus units. Uh, same thing with businesses, 100 plus employees. Um, and then we we do a targeted campaign. So I actually started up a cold call center um, because I was tired of our number one expense with finding leads was these cold call centers in the U.S. that were just charging me 32 bucks an hour. And it was like, you know, the people calling, that means they're making minimum wage. They're not motivated. They're not happy. So I set up a cold call center down in Latin America. That's just crushing it. These people are hungry and happy. And, you know, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm working not just with my vending students, but roofers, HVAC, all kinds of realtor type leads. Um, so I think back to the service piece, you can't be face-to-face -face and, and having a conversation with someone, no matter how good your chat GPT email is or whatever, uh, you know, you can't be picking up the phone or popping in to see someone. So we prioritize apartments, 100-plus units, hotels, 100-plus rooms, and then employees, 100-plus. And then we do a campaign strategy. We have a uh, – it's a full-court press. We have uh, eight email sequence uh, touching on multiple different topics from an overview to cold brew to micro market to vending to see uh, what kind of gets them excited. Um, and then we're calling into these places for our students. So, you know, working for Jake and his son, blah, 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 army soldier vending, whatever you want to call it. And I, th then my callers get paid for meetings they set up for you. Um, and then I help coach you through those meetings. So I'm constantly on calls. Um, you know, last week we did a, a huge property management group out of Orlando. They have 28 corporate um, buildings that, I mean, you're talking massive properties and we're designing retail spaces on a tent. They, they basically want a Wawa with no staff in the lobby. That's interesting. So, and that's, you know, so walk me through that. So you're students, you're either cold calling for them. Hey, apartment owner, hundred unit apartment owner, you know, uh, we're calling on behalf of, you know, XYZ company vendor, you know, we'd love to put a vending machine in your location for no cost. You know, what happens then, you know, um, 
do they get a cut of that? Do they get a split of it? Like how, how does it, you know, how does that typical conversation? Yeah. Go? So the first question with that people think is like, well, wouldn't they already have that name if they wanted it? And it's, it's not even that the first step is there are a lot of, um, vending operators from the 80s and 70s that have machines in these locations that can't track inventory from their phone. The only way they can track inventory is when they go by the location. So guess what? They stop going by the location because people are naturally lazy. And so these machines sit empty. So this manufacturing plant with this micromarket I was talking about that's going to do 20 grand a month, they already had six vending machines in this place. It's not like it's a new manufacturing plant that was like, hey, we want a vending. It was literally, we called into it. And then they're like, yeah, we're not happy with our current provider. They won't come by and stock it. Sure enough, they're not using any technology on the machine to track inventory remotely. So this machine was just sitting there empty. And the only worse thing than having no vending machine is having one that's empty and pissing off your employees. Yeah, because that's, I mean, what what benefit is yeah, that? Yeah, and think know? about like all the, I mean, you see the, the stories on Twitter and all the service-based people of like just adding technology and processes and systems and you're going to increase sales already. But two, it's less time. Like I can literally on my phone go to every machine and see what items are running low. So when that Snickers is at 12 out of 14 sold, rather than waiting for the Snickers to get empty, I can go stock the other 12 to fill it back up. And then the tenants have no, they, they have no idea. Yeah, that is, um, makes a lot of sense. So like, you know, cold calling, mm -hmm. cold email, you know, things like that. Obviously those are, you know, like you said, a certain level of effectiveness also in person, yeah. you know, I'm assuming that that is, you know, uh, a value. So when you go in there, you know, apartment complex, yeah. you know, it didn't, your cold calling didn't work. Your, your email didn't work. So you show up there and say, you know, this hundred unit apartment complex and they don't have vending. So like you go in, just say, Hey, can I put it in there for free? And they go, sure. No problem. Or what, what is that? Cause I mean, obviously your story was they're like, sure. Can you do that? And you're like, Oh wait, yeah. what? I didn't yeah. know that was going to be a problem. Yeah. So now what is it that you're trying to unlock or, you know, what are some of their, what do they say? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm assuming that they want a cut of this, um, as a, as a real estate, you know, kind of owner, so, like, what are you talking to them to try to get it not, yeah. you know, the way you don't have to pay those fees? Yeah, so there's two things there. You'd actually be shocked at how many people don't want to cut. It depends on who you're talking to. So if we if we do a pop-in to a property, the property manager, her pain point is keeping the tenants happy. Her pain point is not making money. That's what the developer or the ownership cares about. So when we do these campaigns, if we're talk, talking ownership, We'll lead with revenue share first email. We'll be like, hey, let's do revenue share. If we're talking to property management, it's all about amenities. Hey, let's keep your, your tenants happy. We can do surveys on what products they like. We can do modern machines that look like, you know, cooler doors that unlock when you put your card on there. Like it's not an old school vending machine that you see at the Jiffy Lube. But then you're right with owners and developers. I mean, I have 11... Uh, locations, I'm only paying commission at three of them and I'm paying 2%. And the easy angle there, Jake, is like, hey, ownership, you've been to the grocery store, you've seen avocado prices. I'm happy to give you a 10% kickback, but then we're just going to have to jack up the prices of the Snickers. And they don't want to piss off their tenants. In fact, a lot of them, I have a location that pays for half my product cost. So literally that Snickers, we normally charge two bucks. I charge on the machine a dollar, and then I bill, when that Snickers sells, I bill the business 50%. So I'm making a dollar B2B, and I'm making a dollar B2C. So that subsidized angle, the employees are super happy because they're paying half price for all their snacks. So um, people want to jump to like, oh, how do you answer commission? Well, do you think developer X cares about the $500 a month you're making on that machine when he's got a portfolio of $3 billion that he's just trying to like 
keep those employees. Like right now with these micro markets, they're coming to us, these corporate buildings, because guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to put in micro markets to fill the place up. Hey, come back to work. Here's some amenities we offer now that you come back to work. Hey, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk about something I get asked about quite a lot. Who does my social media video edits? Well, lucky day, I'm gonna share that now. It's Fat Unicorn Media. Whether you're in real estate or not, Fat Unicorn Media is super clever with some very exciting video edits on the short form video content. And they specialize in it for real estate professionals. They know how to talk like real estate pros because that's exactly what they do as their niche specialty. If you're looking to elevate your video content and social media game, visit them at Fat unicornmedia.com and book a free 15 minute call to see if they can help you too. It's been a game changer for me. It's freed up so much of my time. They are literally the who, not the how. I believe it'll work for you as well. Thanks to Fat Unicorn Media for sponsoring today's episode. And now back to the show. Yeah, I love that. And and I mean, I think this is a, a great kind of segue into like what are micro markets, you know, because that was one of the first things that I saw too, that you were talking about was, you know, we're talking vending, we're looking at this. And then all of a sudden you, you have these things of micro marks. So give some definitions of what it is and then, you know, what you're doing with that, you know, maybe use that example of the, the big property management group that you're trying to put these, you know, Wawa's or, you know, or the manufacturing, whatever yeah. the one it is that you're putting these micro markets into. Yeah. So the, the big thing with, uh, Micro markets is it's a glorified self checkout from when you go to the grocery store. So you probably see these at the Marriott you stay at or the Hilton. They have these little cafes right next to the checkout or right next to where you can check in in the lobby. And it's you just grab and go, hey, put put it on my room, Dr. Pepper, bag of chips, bottle of wine before you go to bed. The, the, the angle we're fitting in and with that, and that's a whole different maybe next conversation, but with these micro markets is people do not like figuring out how to C-17 is for the M&Ms and C-18 is for the Diet Coke. They just want to grab it, scan it, pay, and go. And so um, we've we've been tracking these micro markets for a long time. We've been talking to all the manufacturers about what they see with theft because they're tracking all the data remotely. Uh, from all their users, and it's it's very little. I mean, granted, if you live in LA or San Francisco, that might be a different conversation. But um, theft is four to five percent, and sales are are literally three to five x a normal vending machine. So those locations I was telling you about doing eleven hundred bucks a month at an apartment complex with a vending machine, they would easily do over three grand a month once we fine tune the products, just because people can grab and go. You get more flexibility, so you don't have to worry about does this frozen meal fit in the vending machine i can literally put it in the freezer of the market they grab and go go up to the room to the microwave or it's at the marriott in the lobby they can go to the, the microwave in the lobby like whatever that dynamic is um but they're you know it's unattended retail it's i was going through denver's airport two weeks ago and there was eight micro markets from walking from b you come up the escalator at like b40 to b90 and i was just like no employee, no employee, no employee. Like, sure, I could have grabbed something and not paid for it, but that's not, you know, what people do, especially when you got all these cameras that now have have machine vision to identify theft. So, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, I love that, that concept because I think it's becoming more and more mm -hmm. regular. You know, the self-checkout, all those little mini market kiosks that are, you know, standing there with the, the magazines and Red Bulls and everything else. And, you know, obviously, yes, can someone just grab it and run off? Sure, they can. But it's, you know, there's cameras and, you know, unscrupulous people are going to be unscrupulous even if it's a vending machine. It's inside of a, you know, uh, I know as a kid, I tried to reach up inside and try to yeah. get, you know, an oh, extra yeah. quarter, you know, another machine. But, um, you know, I, I kind of knew no different. But you, you talked about, like, refining the product yeah. and getting that product, you know, um, mix on the right and you could three or five X, you know, your revenues. So, like, talk about that. Like, what products 
do well or have high profit margins that you're kind of maybe steering some of these micro markets or your combo vending machines, you know? Yeah. And actually this micro market we're going through with the manufacturing plan, I don't even know if you can see it, but I literally have a whiteboard of products and cost of goods and margins. And we're going through an exercise before we stock this machine or this market tomorrow. We don't want to touch anything without a 60% margin. So we're getting, Burritos from Costco and, and Winco, the two main major grocers here in Oregon, for 53 cents. And we're going to sell them for $1.99. This is, again, a migrant-heavy working. So we're going to do a burrito and a soda for $3.99. So they might save 50 cents versus buying the burrito and the soda. So we're doubling down on a lot of um, rice, beans, salsas, um, a lot of pre-made meals with that kind of theme to it. Um, but psychology is fascinating to me with these locations because I have two apartment complexes right by the University of Oregon. One's like your athlete Greek, you know, before they move into the fraternity, their junior year, they're going to stay in an off-campus dorm their sophomore year. And I cannot keep Celsius, Yerba Mate, these more like modern, healthy latest generation type snacks stocked enough. And then I got another apartment over by the grad school uh, buildings. And it's a lot of like 35 to 50 year old international folks that are doing their masters. And literally we have to have a second section for Diet Coke and Dr. Pepper and peanut M&Ms because they don't care about Yerba Mate. They're like locked in on, I'm going to have 12 Diet Cokes while I do an all-nighter and a monster and these other kids at the other property, the, the same machine, the same exact type of machine in both properties. We have completely different products because of the psychology of our tenants. And it's fascinating. Just like we'll put a monster in there for four bucks. We'll purposely add a rock star right next to it for three seventy-five, and it'll sell out of rock stars like that. And people think it's cheaper, but like the Rockstar is 50% of the monster at Costco. It's like the whole Pepsi Coke thing. It's actually good if you have both. So they power of choice. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's um, I love that price psychology of of things. And so I've, I've used that or talked about that is like when you have three options and then you price one really expensive, you know, you price another one that's kind of like they don't really want that because it's not enough. And then you put it in that happy medium. And so do you put it closer to this or double? You know, it's like that that makes sense. And to price something like a, a monster right next to a rock star and, you know, um, and that also makes sense. You know, the Herba Mate is, you know, cleaner energy, Celsius, yes. cleaner energy, um, you know, versus, you know, as heavy as sugars and Diet Cokes and other things. So I love that 60% profit margin. You're, you're primarily, like you said, Costco, you know, Sam's Club, Amazon, things like that, that where you can just kind of buy pricing in bulk have you been able to unlock to go direct to a manufacturer or anything like that or is it just convenient because there's lots of costcos and sam's clubs depending on where you live uh around the country yeah that's a good question so we definitely have like in the community we ever we have you know the this stars that we've talked to i mean the local pepsi distributor here in oregon the hard part with that type of relationship is i don't want to be tied to one product like if they want coke zero and diet pepsi there's that agility value there. The other thing that's just convenient about a Costco is it's free free shipping above 75 bucks. So I have like two cases of Celsius and I'm already there when I'm ordering 10, 15 a week type of thing. So it's delivered to your door and it's two-day delivery FedEx. So they deliver on Sunday. So there's just a huge, I mean, we're talking when we go straight to those manufacturers, a two to three cent difference. Um, but we're always looking at, kind of the products, what's what's the best margins, discounts. I'm super bullish on things like frozen foods just because of shelf life and things like that versus like salads and sandwiches. Um, so that's kind of, there's a lot of, that goes into that side while also maintaining the margins. And I'll, I'll you know, if, for example, with this uh, migrant plant, they are going to have a Coke machine from the old other competitor they're going to keep there. So how we're going to backdoor sales there is doing like, 
a pizza and a Coke for five bucks. So they're going to, are they going to go for the $4 pizza or are they going to go for the $5 Coke and pizza? You know, like, cause now that Coke is only a dollar versus if they buy it by itself, it's two bucks. So like, there's going to be some kind of strategic marketing stuff we're going to do to backdoor um, our competition there. But uh, I mean, it's just, you got to double down on what sells and that's why these locations, it's fascinating to track and you got to have the technology to do it. That's where, um, a lot of my entrepreneurs get a leg up on, on their kind of market competition as um, using today's technology. So with that technology, is that, you know, is it just through the, the machines that you're specifically targeting? Is it the credit card readers? Is it a combination of that? Do you have some kind of like dashboard that you can view? Cause you, you mentioned it, you can see it on your phone. So like, have you had to cobble together stuff? Is it just, you know, a, a one and done pretty simple software program? So like, what is this technology that is, you know, making it easier for you to operate your business? Yeah, there's, there's a couple uh, layers to it for sure. Like you need a credit card reader, um, whether that's the one that comes with the machine you're getting, or, you know, we have a couple of relationships with different uh, manufacturers that and preferences based on uh, what we found work. Absolutely. And then, I think on the other side, I mean, you're spot on with the machines, like the coolest, we haven't even got into it, but like my cold brew machines, you know, I have machines now in Idaho, Seattle, and here in Oregon, and I can literally log in and track everything from sales, how many coffee sales we did this morning to how much cold brew is left in my bib before it needs changed out. And so, and we can do promos like every Friday, I have a eight to noon on the tap of the cold brew machine, it's free pours for the resident. And then whatever is poured that day, I invoice to the business directly. So the resident thinks it's free. They're doing a ton of pours, which is helping me because then I just send that invoice to the business. So you got back to that B2B, B2C um, recurring revenue with these happy hours that um, is literally all automated in the software on the back end. Super clever. So I was like, how, how does that, you know, so you've struck an agreement with the, the business that, you know, you're going to give the, you know, is that like an office, you know, tenant? Is it a, a apartment, you know, something like that, that, you know, is trying to entice people in there to dip the cold Absolutely. Brew? And I actually, the cold brew company I'm, I'm talking about, I actually um, came across them at an Apple store in Georgetown, uh, D.C., so they have a cold brew machine in the Apple store. There's a hundred ways to do it. You buy an iPhone, you get a free cup of coffee. You sign up to live at this apartment, you get a free pour. You're a potential new tenant coming in to tour the, the offices that we're trying to fill and lease. We're going to give you a free pour for that tour. So like all those kind of like promo codes or even happy hours that the relationships I've been with built with the businesses, it's really easy because they're already providing free lobby coffee. So they have a coffee budget out of their marketing budget. So I'm just tapping into that in a more modern way than, Hey, here's a Keurig. I'm going to go buy a hundred cups. And then, Oh, by the way, I got to have my staff like clean that thing out after everyone uses it. Yeah, that makes sense. As far as the, um, I think, you know, like you said earlier, the pain point of the property manager versus the pain point of the, you know, property owner. So like, what are some of the, you know, enticing or pain points for an apartment complex, a property manager, you know, keeping the tenant happy. And you mentioned like surveys or other things like that. How is it that you're, you know, kind of getting your foot in the door to, and are you seeing it vending machines versus these micro markets being more successful? Yeah. So it, it definitely depends on the, if you think of like the innovation curve of people like the early adopter property manager is going to lean into markets and things like that. Old school people that are worried about theft, they might not lean into the markets. They want your modern vending machine. But I mean, there's a couple of things they care about. At the end of the day, the number one thing they care about is leasing that place. And they want to keep rents high and beat the competitor across the street. And so if you Google any new complex being built by you it blows me away every time these complexes are offering more modern amenities when they're built than ever before because they want to keep rents high so like i went to a property in dc when i was out there and they had freaking a bowling alley in the basement 
And they're like, sweet. They had a cryo chamber, a sauna. Of course they want to add some cold brew taps on the counter in the like social room. Of course they want to have a market for grab and go for their residents. So like that was an easy one. But you think about those property managers, they want to keep their tenants happy and keep that baby filled year over year because that's going to keep ownership happy. And amenities is the way to do that. And we can get creative too. We can give every new tenant moving in, we can give them a $10 gift card to the machine. So we pay for 50%, they pay for 50%. Now you're getting them by the machine when they first start living there. So you're building habits and there's the whole marketing behind increasing sales is it's total gamification. It's another, another great little insight as far as getting people. And I was just kind of thinking like an existing community, Hey, you go in, you get, you know, a, a vending machine or micro market or something like that. Maybe there's a lot of tenants and really where I think this is quite opportunistic is in a garden style apartment complex. So, uh, you know, the, the reason that that might be very appealing is it's not walkable like your urban, you know, uh, 250 unit, you know, apartment, you know, in downtown, wherever, you got lots of options, mm -hmm. you know, you got lots of, you know, the DoorDash mm -hmm. is probably a pretty relevant, you know, option. But then, you know, if you think about, you know, suburbia, that's where the vast majority of people probably live and most, you know, tired uh, apartment complexes or tired vending machines is CVS or Walgreens or 7-Elevens, you know, might be close-ish, but it's three miles away. It's five miles away, you know, versus like, oh, I can at least walk to the amenity center to go buy something and get, you know, oh man, I've, I'm out of energy drink, uh, a milk mm -hmm. uh, and eggs or something like that. And maybe not those because they don't have very good shelf life, but I would just be, you know, curious now that I'm thinking about that. I'm just talking yeah. live as far as like, you know, the fact that you're using that gift card to get them to make them aware of that it actually even exists so that you can try to boost your revenues to try to create and then creating a survey and other things. So that's, that's really um, super cool. I think that it is a unbelievable opportunity. I know we, I can probably ask a lot more questions uh, related to this, but I have a, a few um, kind of, I call them rapid fire questions, yeah. uh, but your answers don't have to be rapid fire. Um, and it has to do with, you know, passive, uh, wealth and passive income. Um, you know, your, some of these things may not actually be related to passive wealth or passive income, but the first one is what is the one book that you have gifted most to other people? Ooh, um, recently or over time? You take it how you uh, I think the most recent book, um, and it kind of aligns with my human performance background too, is Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Um, there's just something about like, if it's uncomfortable, you should be doing it. Um, and that's led me to like cold plunges in the morning to, you know, um, all these kind of, um, at the end of the day, if you can reduce friction by taking on the friction yourself, like you're going to get ahead in life because people will pay for reducing that friction. You think of like cold calling, like people hate to pick up the phone. So like pick up the phone, you know, it's like people hate to face to face. So pop in to that lead that you're trying to go buy that property or what, you know, like that's a uh, comfort crisis has just been a, a book that's really resonated with me as, you know, we get addicted to our phones, technology and the convenience, like you said, with DoorDash, it's like, okay, well, should I even be eating that? You know? Yeah, that's uh totally makes sense. So as far as uh, the next question is, what is one thing I didn't prep you for this? Uh, what is one thing that you've spent money on in the last six months that has bought back your most time? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'm pretty bullish on executive assistants and VAs that are international. Um, I think there's a lot. Uh, Dan Martell's book, Buy Back Your Time, is a fascinating one that really kind of made me realize, like, you, even if someone else does it 80% of the level, you can do it at 100%. Like, it's still 80% better than 
you you know that's what like for me i'm a sales guy so i'm like oh man i gotta be the one doing the cold calling but then in reality it's like well what's my hourly rate and let's work backwards on on that and so um yeah i think uh, vas and executive assistants with a system in place and sop um checklist all of that can save you a ton of time yeah, I love that. And I agree, you know, so wholeheartedly. So the final question is uh, of the audience. These are, you know, you know, typically accredited investors or people looking to, you know, learn or leverage new passive income, you know, tips and tricks and other things like that. So what is the ask of them for you? And then where can they find you um, based on what, what you got going on? Yeah, as far as an ask, I'm always looking at uh, investment ideas. So if anyone's trying to pitch whatever they're interested in, I'm always looking at um, ideas. They can hit me up on on Twitter, Mr. Passive, uh, Instagram, Mike D. Hoffman. Um, Jake, if they reach out to you, you can give them my email as well. That's easy. Um, but uh, as far as like, you know, if anyone wants to chat micro markets or vending or human performance, I mean, I kind of like... You know, I look at the triad. I got my family, I got passive income, and I got human performance. And the goal of everything is to live as long as I can, to spend time with my family while not worrying about the money to do it. And that's just the root of what I'm about is like, how do I do that? And so that's kind of the three pillars of what I'm passionate about. So if anyone wants to network and um, talk to me about any of those pillars, I'm always looking to learn and meet other people like you ultimately that's how we got connected and now i'm like how do we build a lemonade stand that's ran by a robotic arm <laughs> yeah no i love that it, i just like i want to just take a, a moment of gratitude as far as you know you um doing exactly those things i i see the the epitome of that and i see there's so many things that um make a lot of sense, you know, cause I was like doing hard things on purpose. Um, that's one of our, our mottos, you know, the Harris's we do hard things. And so my son walks around and he was like, it was really hard. And I was like, good. that's good. Yeah. Cause that's what yeah. we do. And so like the fact that you mentioned comfort crisis, you know, your, your, you know, uh, training component of that, like doing those things on purpose is one of the things that I think is so valuable in life. And, and it just, like you said, it unlocks you know, everything else. And you get to choose your heart. Exactly. You get to choose your heart of working out or you get to choose your heart of dying 20 years yeah. early, yeah. you know, like, you know, like one or the other. So the fact that you're living that you're epitomizing that, then you're sharing all this information out there with the world. And even for me, for my son, who's, you know, um, just near venturing into these things that you're throwing down the rope to help others that uh, I, I truly appreciate the, the insights that you're putting out there. And I think it is tremendously valuable because this is, you know, a tired industry that, you know, just reinvigorating, you know, infusing, you know, not earth shattering oh, you know, things, but like technology, cold calling, connecting with these other things that is just unlocking so many opportunities for this next generation. And so I truly appreciate the way that you're showing up, Mike. And then obviously the fact that it's about family yeah. for me, that's the same big thing as well is that, it, you know, all of this connecting together, that's the reason we do any of this. Like, why, why do you make money? Like, I think we have a lot of people have that existential crisis of, of life is like, why do you do this to be like, because of family, mm -hmm. you want to do these things. You want to feel good. And so thank you, yeah, Mike, so much. And I'm sure we're going to have all the show notes and lots of things, links to your courses and, you know, the programs you have. And it is uh, unbelievable. I'm super excited to get this episode out there relatively soon. Awesome. Jake, thank you. Grateful to be on it. And I mean, keep, uh, yeah, keep going, man. I love what you're putting out there and you know, content is king and, and you're putting a lot of uh, great content out there. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. 
for those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.